I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. Well, I hope you had a very happy Halloween. I know I sure did. Now, as we slog through the upcoming holiday season, you may find yourself locked in the bathroom for a few blessed moments to yourself, away from the chaos of extended family and forced cheer. What better way to distract yourself from the jolliness than with Claire? Now that it's available on Audible, you can pop those earbuds in and escape to Wellesley, at least until someone comes looking for you. This week, I owe a big thank you to Patreon donor Jess Curtin for her generous donation, which will protect the identity of our next haunted Swellslian. Here's ghost story number 41, Overnights. Can you come down here for a minute? The man called from the bottom of the basement stairs. There's something I want to show you. I groaned and got up from the desk in my office. Sure, I called back as I crossed the foyer to the basement door, but I don't think I want to see anything down there. The man smiled up at me. Oh, it's nothing a little poison won't take care of. Just something you should be aware of. I hesitated in the doorway when I saw that he had unlatched and opened the doors to the crawl space beneath our family room. Come on over. I'll show you what we're dealing with. I tried to shake off the fear, but it only increased as I walked closer to the dark, cave-like space. I stood next to the exterminator and peered into the darkness. The man shined his flashlight first along the dirt floor. See there? You got a few dead bodies. And then up to the ceiling, which had been lined with insulation, held in place by clear plastic stapled to the wooden beams. See those dark trails running to and fro? He asked. That's feces and urine. They're tracking it all throughout their home. Your home. He had a beautiful Irish accent, which I wouldn't dare try to emulate, and he pronounced urine as urine. Disgusted, I stepped back. Are there a lot of them? He nodded gravely. What are we going to do? I asked, feeling a stab of guilt. I knew we had to kill the things. We couldn't just let them completely infest the house, but still... They were just doing their little mouse thing. They'll be dead and gone within five days, the exterminator assured me. Do I have to worry about the dogs or the kids? I asked, referring to the poison he intended to use to massacre the family sharing our home. He assured me that the girls and the dogs would be perfectly safe, even if one of the dogs ingested a poison mouse. Gross. Sorry, little guys. I whispered into the crawl space. I thanked the exterminator and began my retreat, eager to get back to my office. Hold on now, he said. I still got to show you the spiders. My 22 years at this job, I've never seen anything like it. We'd had critter infestations in past homes. In fact, our Beacon Hill condo had a nasty mouse problem. When Max was a toddler and Joey an infant, I was straightening up and reached down to retrieve their pajamas from the bedroom floor. As I picked up the little bundle of clothing, I heard two little thumps as something dropped out of the bundle onto the ground. It was two small, dead mice. 
Chris had reasoned that someone in one of the other condos must have put out poison, and the mice had crawled into the baby clothes to die. Needless to say, it was one of the last nails in the coffin of city living. Alas, there are mice in the burbs, too. We hadn't taken my psychic pal Judith's advice and renovated the basement, so it still held a spooky vibe. I would have loved to redo the space, thereby eliminating the negative feelings that had etched themselves into the material space before we'd owned the house, but we simply didn't have the funds laying around to do it. The basement was overly sectioned. One room for the laundry and furnace and such. One paneled room that had been the previous owner's children's den, and then a large storage space where we'd thrown unopened moving boxes and a bunch of other stuff we didn't need. That's where the crawl space lived, and I barely ever went into that portion of the basement. I kept that door shut, a hook and eye latch, carefully in place so that the girls wouldn't wander in there either. But the exterminator reminded me of the place, and it occurred to me that in Judith's walkthrough and spiritual cleansing of my home, I hadn't shown her the room. So, after the exterminator pointed out an absurd amount of spider webs in a far corner of the basement, I'd gone back upstairs to my office and said quietly, Is it just critters down there, or do I need to be worried about something else? A brief silence, and then Claire's answer. I don't go down there. Why? I asked. But our conversation was interrupted by the exterminator, who needed me to sign a consent form to deploy his death traps throughout my home. When I tried to bring the issue up again, Claire was silent. Whenever she wanted to speak, she did, but when I needed information, she'd only answer if she felt like it. Maybe that was unfair. Maybe she couldn't for some reason. Or maybe the problem was me. Maybe I couldn't hear her. Still, there was obviously more than bad memories affecting my basement, It would have to be sorted out, and I was overwhelmed with life as it was. Add it to the fucking list, I thought. Before the basement could be dealt with, I was due to meet with a woman who had a paranormal story to share. Jess Curtin and I were cut from very different cloth. The nurse was a tight little bundle of energy and spunk, optimism and make-it-workness, She wore her highlighted brown hair in a swishy bob. Her tortoiseshell glasses looked like an expertly placed punctuation mark on an outfit that screamed effortless style. A double pocket light pink button-down silk shirt and boot-cut jeans with cheetah print kitten heels. Her whole persona threw me for a loop because, like an idiot, I'd for some reason expected her to show up in scrubs. It was a chilly autumn morning, and I'd intended to go for a walk after interviewing Jess over coffee at Cabrada, so I had on workout gear and a baseball hat. It was a Saturday, and Chris was treating the kids to a Whole Foods breakfast and a trip to the dump, followed by a shopping spree at BJ's. Their idea of a killer outing. I'm so glad this worked out, I said to Jess as we arranged ourselves in front of the windows at Cabrada's new bar seats. I was happy we weren't sitting at the back tables. Walking in, I'd been reminded of the recent conversation with Jessica Heng. Despite her warning, or perhaps threat, Biddy and I had neither seen nor heard anything from the woman. Her stunned and confused ex-fiancé claimed that he hadn't seen her since the day we met either. 
Sorry it was such a clusterfuck trying to find a time that worked for both of our schedules, Jess apologized. Working nights makes it difficult for me to be a part of regular society. I'm sure, I replied. Anyway, I can't believe how long it took me to find your blog, she said. I smiled and sipped my coffee, not sure what she meant. A guy I used to work with emailed me the link last week. For real. I read it in two days. Oh, wow, I said, thinking of the punctuation and grammatical errors that must have overwhelmed her over the course of those two days. When I read the About page, I just knew that we were cut from the same cloth. I read the Fear Street series growing up, too. I was absolutely obsessed. How old are you? Almost 40, I replied. When's your birthday? My brain took a moment to retrieve the information. Jess spoke quickly, jumping from topic to topic, rapid-firing questions, and then offering intense revelation. I gave her my birth date. Aries, she said confidently. Makes sense. I've been wanting to talk about what happened for a long time, but most of the people I know don't believe in this stuff, and I have to be careful with confidentiality and everything. I live over in Poets' Corners. Where are you? I was vague as I could be without being rude, giving her a cross street we were close to. My run-in with the demon-possessed Ms. Heng had reminded me that I should be more careful in sharing personal details about my life. I told you I'm a nurse, right? I nodded. Good, well, that's when everything happened. When I was on overnights with a patient, Shelley. You'll change your name, right? She lived over near the dump in a brick split level. The low grade was pretty much its own living area, like a little efficiency. It even had a separate entrance and a little patio out back. The house was nice enough, a rental for her. The place was dark and dreary, but the woods in that area are pretty intense. The important thing is that it was clean. I won't take a job in a dirty house. Oh, I said, trying to keep up. When you said overnights, I was picturing you in a hospital. No, not anymore. I've been a terrible sleeper my whole life, so I was drawn to the night shift while I was in nursing school. Worked on med surge for years at Brigham and Women's, but a couple years ago I transitioned into home health care. Let's me really meet a patient's needs. Most of the time I help people recover at home from surgery or I help get them through their cancer treatments. I built a good reputation so I can be selective, choosing patients. It was Shelley's daughter who contacted the service. What did she need help with? The daughter made it sound as though Shelley was rapidly descending into full-blown dementia and that she wanted someone in the house at night to make sure she didn't hurt herself or wander off. The poor woman, I said. I know. It's a fate worse than death. I don't typically assist patients with advanced Alzheimer's or dementia. The risk for them is too great. They're much better off in a secure environment. Houses can be dangerous for confused people. The daughter was insistent, and I asked to meet Shelley before I accepted the job. She was perfectly lovely and seemed pretty with it. I thought, you know, an overnight nurse is pretty expensive if you don't have a person who needs actual medical assistance, but it was their money, and I didn't have any other pressing patients. If I did, I would have given them priority. How many nights a week did you stay with her? Six. Wow, I commented. Yeah, paid really well. Just sighed. But on with the spooky stuff, right? So, the first night I'm there, I was in my room, on the ground level. 
you know, in that little efficiency, reading. It was probably about one in the morning, and I hear someone walk into the kitchen and turn on the faucet. I figured Shelly was getting herself a glass of water. I didn't want to crowd her, so I just listened. But the water stayed on for too long, so I went up to check that all was well. Oh, so there was a short staircase from the efficiency that led up to the kitchen? Anyhow, she wasn't there, but the thing that concerned me was that the kitchen light was off. I'd left it on just in case she got up. I turned off the water, flipped the light back on, and went to check on her. She's sound asleep. It put me on alert. I thought, okay, I get why the daughter wants me here. Next night, same exact thing. This time, I stood at the bottom of the stairs, listening. When I thought it had been long enough, I went up. No Shelly. Lights off again, and the damn faucet was on full blast. I peeked into her room, and sure enough, there she was, sound asleep. Third night, same song, same dance. But this time, I went right up there the second I heard what I thought were her footsteps. I heard the faucet turn on as I was halfway up those stairs. I fully thought I'd see her standing there, so when I turned the corner and saw a dark, empty kitchen and that faucet running, it stopped me, gave me a chill. I turned the water off and just stood there for a second, trying to figure it out. Then I went down the hall and checked her room. Can you guess? She was sound asleep, I said. Jess put her finger on the tip of her nose. Bingo. Spooky, I said, smiling. Damn straight. I psyched myself up and thought, all right, I was forged in a fire greater than this. You know, by some fluke, I was on shift the day of marathon bombings, covering for a nurse on maternity leave. We took 31 trauma patients that day. A ghost who likes to play at the kitchen sink isn't going to ruffle my feathers. At least, it shouldn't have, but turns out ghosts require a different kind of brave. I need another coffee. You? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll grab you one. You like hazelnut? I do. Here, I said grabbing my wallet. No, it's on me. Feels so good to tell someone all this, Jess said, waving my money away. I'll be back in two shakes. I looked out the window as Jess purchased the coffees and tried to process what she'd shared so far. Then I checked my phone and saw that Chris had texted several photos of the girls sorting recycling at the dump. Here you go. I put soy milk and sugar in it. Jess placed the coffee in front of me and climbed back into the tall chair. Thank you. Perfect. Where did I leave off? Ah, oh, yeah, kitchen faucet. So that's how it started. That night, the one where I realized it wasn't Shelly who'd been turning on the water, I turned on every single freaking light in the basement and jumped at every creak and bump. Did you ask Shelly about it? Well, that was tricky. I didn't want her to think I was lurking around at night, but after that night, I'd asked if she'd been up to get water. I didn't mention the previous two times with the faucets. I just said that I'd heard the water running. She claimed she'd slept through the night, that she'd been sleeping so much better just knowing that I was in the house with her. And this I'll never forget. She said, you've quieted things down. Uh-oh. That's what I thought. So I asked what she meant, but she didn't really answer. Just sort of ignored the question. Thing was, the more time I spent with her, even though it was just for about a couple hours at night and one or two more in the morning, I just wasn't seeing the telltale signs of dementia. 
And morning and evening can be the most disorienting times for people with the disease. She was pretty sharp when we watched Wheel, and she wasn't a bad poker player either. Besides that, I didn't notice many instances of confusion or time slips, and she recognized me and referred back to earlier conversations we'd had. What had the daughters told you about her condition? Ah, the daughters. Well, the eldest, Marnie, was the one who'd contacted me, and I'd interviewed at her house with a younger sister, Alexis. They weren't exactly on the same page where their mother was concerned, but they'd agreed she should have someone in the house with her at night. Marnie was convinced her mother was beginning to lose her mind. Her words, not mine. But Alexis was of the opinion that their mom was lonely and still getting used to the new house. At the time, I thought maybe she was in denial. Oh, I said. So it was a recent move. I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. They'd moved mom out of the house they grew up in over in Dover. Dad had died about three years prior, so they wanted mom close by to keep an eye on her. Again, daughter's words, not mine. As mentioned, the house was a rental. Marnie was building a guest house on their property. I guess Shelley had refused to move into the main house with her. So that was the compromise. Apparently, the old family home sold faster than they thought it would, so the rental house was a short-term solution until the guest house was complete. How long had she lived there? Jess finished the sentence for me. Six months. Hmm. And had she been displaying any signs of confusion before she moved into that house? Again, Jess completed my thought. No, at least according to her daughters. Did you mention the kitchen faucet to them? No, at least not right away. Jess seemed to hesitate. And then, I prompted. Then things got really creepy, she admitted. The whole kitchen thing happened the first week I was there. Then one night during my second week at the house, I must have dozed off while I was reading because the next thing I know, Shelly is gently rubbing my arm to wake me up. Did you see him? She wanted to know. See who? I asked once I'd shaken off the sleep. The little boy. He walked past my room and I followed him down here. Where did he go? Oh no, I groaned. Mm, well, here's the thing. It was startling, for sure, but remember why I was there. To take care of someone who supposedly had dementia, right? We walked through the basement, checking the rooms and doors, and then did the same upstairs. I was finally able to convince her that it had been a dream. She did say one thing that gave me pause, though. She said she'd seen the boy before, in the garage once, in the middle of the day. I let out a breath. I'm guessing it didn't end there. Not even close. Soon after I was up having a midnight snack in my little living area at this cute cafe table they had down there, I had my back to the kitchen area and all of a sudden the damn faucet turned on. That gave me a jolt. I shot up and turned it off and when I did, I heard the door at the top of the stairs, the one that led right to the first floor kitchen, slam shut. I bolted up the steps, not even sure who or what I thought I'd catch, and when I got up there, I saw that damn faucet had been turned on up there, too. And yes, Shelly was right where she was supposed to be, tucked in tight, fast asleep in her bed. So now I'm fully unsettled, right? I went back downstairs and grabbed my book and camped out in the living room the rest of the night on the main floor. Lights ablazing. This is going to sound cliche, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. 
I'll bet, I said. Now, that next morning over coffee, I asked Sherry if she'd noticed any issues with the plumbing. No, she hadn't, really, except for the faucets. Said that sometimes she'd come home and they'd be on. She told me it was one of the reasons her daughters got so worked up about her being alone at night. What if you'd left the stove on by accident instead, Mom? They'd asked. She was pissed they wouldn't believe her that she hadn't left the water running. And now she was seeing little boys running through the house at night, I commented. You know it. Classic escalation, right? You seem to be pretty familiar with hauntings. None of this seems like a surprise to you. Yeah, no, I love this stuff. Have ever since I was a little girl. I just never experienced anything paranormal myself, you know. It scared me more than I thought it would. I know exactly what you mean, I commented. Yeah, um, so do you really hear spirits? Jess asked cautiously. Sometimes, I said. Jess watched me, an expectant look on her face. I haven't heard anything recently, if that's what you're asking. I just wondered, you know. Sure, usually in busy places like this I'll hear someone, but there hasn't been anything of note so far. Would you tell me if there was? she asked. I smiled. Maybe, probably. Do you watch Ghost Adventures? she asked abruptly. Do you mean it? I said. Yeah, I think that's the best reality show about paranormal out there. I mean, best show ever, really. I 100% agree with you, I said, trying not to completely geek out. Would you ever go to one of those really haunted locations they investigate, like the Washoe Club or Bobby Mackey's? Absolutely not. But what if you heard something incredible, you know, that could prove those things are really there? Those things are there whether I hear them or not, I said. True. And I guess no matter how much proof you have, you barely have anyone who will believe you. Even if I'd managed to record that ghost boy or the faucet turning on by itself, there would still be people who thought I'd faked it. I shrugged my shoulders. There'll always be skeptics, I said simply. Well, I know what happened in that house, and it cured me of my skepticism completely. What else happened? Jess took a deep breath. Objects began to move on their own. I went up one morning, and there were four of Shelley's little porcelain figurines lined up on the floor right at the top of the steps. I noticed them when I was halfway upstairs. It stopped me cold. I stepped around them and found Shelley, who was just walking out of her bedroom, and showed them to her. She was pretty pissed. She was really into those Hummel things, told me that most had been packed away, awaiting the move to the guest house, but she'd brought her favorites to the rental because she didn't want anything to happen to them while they were in storage. Oof, figurines moving on their own. I don't like it, I said with a nervous laugh. Neither did I, Jess said seriously. I was jumping in that house as it was. That little ghost trick set me over the edge. You've mentioned a couple times in your blog how kid ghosts might not actually be kid ghosts, right? Well, yeah. I mean, who knows, right? They could very well be demons or some other negative entity pretending to be a child. But from there, my mind starts to freak out. Like, what if everything is demons just pretending to be ghosts, tricking us all for some scary, unknown reason? 
Jess looked at her coffee and gave a subtle nod. That thought kept sneaking up on me. Like, if it was just some kid ghost being all mischievous, then why did I feel so threatened? More importantly, why did I have such a strong intuition that Shelly was in danger, like the thing was after her? There's no logical reason for me to think like that. I just A faucet and some figurines don't spell out sinister intentions, but the feeling I had was tense, anxious. And then it wasn't long after that that I heard the voice over the baby monitor. I let out a low whistle. Baby monitor. Yeah, it was just the simple old school kind. You know, only sound, no video or anything. Shelly agreed to put the transmitter on her nightstand, and I kept the receiver with me so I could hear her if she needed anything. I was watching a movie on my iPad. I'd stop reading at night at that point. I needed more company than that. So I'm watching the movie, and I hear static come across the monitor. I listen for a minute. Nothing. I went back to the movie, but with one ear on the monitor, just in case. A few minutes later, I hear my name. It startled me a little, but I assumed it was Shelly and that she needed help. I was alarmed, actually. She'd never used the monitor to call for me before, so I was afraid she was in trouble. I rushed upstairs and dun-dun-dun, the kitchen faucet was on full blast. I don't know how I hadn't heard it. Along with that, the kitchen lights were off. It scared me. I basically ran to Shelly's room and there she was, sitting up in bed, staring at her closet. I asked if she was all right, and she said, Did you hear that? I told her that, yes, I'd heard her call for me over the baby monitor, but that's not what she'd meant. She hadn't called for me, but she'd heard someone in her closet. Yeesh, I breathed. What exactly did she hear? Jess reached up and rubbed the back of her neck. She said she'd woke up to her closet door sliding open, and then she heard a little boy say, We can't wait for you to join us, Shelley. Oh, shit, I said, laughing nervously. Yeah, I immediately clicked into calm nurse in a crisis mode and told her to get up out of bed. I had to get us both away from that closet, and I didn't like the vibe on the main level, so we went down to the lower level and watched Moonstruck until morning. And then what did you do? I wasn't about to mess around. I called Marnie at seven and asked her to come over right away. I laid everything out for her and told her that in my professional opinion, from what I'd observed in my time with Shelley, she wasn't experiencing the initial stages of dementia. What she was going through was a haunting, and the house was not a safe place for her to be. I had serious reservations about her even spending time alone there during the day. How did the daughter react? I asked. Defensive at first, which I'd fully expected, but she asked a bunch of questions, and I think she really took us seriously when I told her that Shelley and I had discussed it, and we both felt that the best plan of action was for her to go live with Marnie and her family until that guest house was complete. And that was that. Shelley didn't stay there another night. She moved out of that house and in with her daughter to wait for the builders to finish the guest house. She'd been adamant about maintaining her independence up until that point, but that little house, or whatever was in it, chased her out. Crazy, I said. Yeah, sorry there's no big scary reveal here. I just, I guess it was a regular old haunting. Mm, Those are the scariest ones, I commented. True, she conceded. So that house must still be a rental, right? Yep. 
I drove by it not long ago, and there's a Suburban parked in the driveway and a bunch of kid stuff, you know, bikes and scooters strewn around. Oh, great, I breathed. So you still haven't heard anything, right? It took me a moment to realize what she was asking. I thought she meant about the rental. Oh, you mean have any ghosts chimed in on your story? Have they? No, I said apologetically. But I wasn't telling the truth. Around the time we'd been debating whether it had been ghosts or demons pretending to be ghosts haunting the rental house, Claire had spoken up. It's getting worse, she'd commented. I don't know why I didn't tell Jess. Maybe because it scared me, and by not telling her, I could pretend that things weren't escalating in Wellesley. Thank you again, Jess Curtin, for your support on Patreon. A huge thanks as well to Carly Swisher, Susanna Crane, Sarah Collins, and The Brew Interviews for your ridiculously generous support. Thank you to you and to all of my donors for keeping this podcast alive. And now for the story of a small suburban hive. Caitlin Howes could locate only one of her daughter's elbow-length gloves. She never should have let the kids play in their costumes before the big night. This could ruin everything. They were lucky to be invited in the first place, and now she risked showing up with a half-formed costume. Why couldn't she just get her shit together like everyone else? Beth had let it drop that Hannah thought she was flighty. She should probably just go and buy an entirely new costume at Party City. Yeah, that's what she'd do. Fucking perfect Hannah could fuck off. Meanwhile, across town, Hannah Johnson was putting the finishing touches on her son's ninja costume. She would tell everyone she'd just thrown it together last minute, but that would be a lie. She'd painstakingly made the costume over the past three weeks. Hannah carefully projected an easy breezy lifestyle, always showing up the proper weight in the proper outfit, even dressing her kids in the proper clothing for their proper extracurriculars. She was expected to show up properly, and she did not usually disappoint. Although, when Beth had come over for a playdate the past week, she'd let it slip that Rebecca thought Hannah's perfect life was basic, predictable. Hannah snapped a pic of her sewing machine and posted it to Insta with the hashtag, last minute momming. Screw Rebecca. Two streets over, Rebecca, Chalinar, was very close to her breaking point. Fuck you, John, we can't be late to this. It's Halloween. You're not gonna screw this up for me. Rebecca's husband had called to say he was going to be a little bit late. After the comment Beth had made at their last girls' night out about how she just didn't know how Rebecca managed to keep it all together with Adam working so many hours, she wasn't about to show up to this party without him. Beth had shared a story later that night about an old friend who found out her husband's late nights at the office turned out to be spent with his 25-year-old associate. Honey, I'll do my best, but it's a kid's Halloween party. What's the big deal? John had asked. You don't get it, Rebecca said, hanging up before bursting into tears. Beth Bayer McCulloch sat at her pristine, marble-topped kitchen island, enjoying a glass of blood-red wine. She heard footsteps overhead and stilled. 
This nanny might not make it much longer if she didn't start getting those brats to bed on time. Beth swirled the liquid in her glass, admiring her sharp-tipped talons. She smiled down at the yellow tutu and black tights. None of them had ever seen the real Beth, and none of them ever would. Creatures like Beth existed throughout the country. Hell, the world. They landed in little communities and built their hives. Their sting bit, and they reveled in their ability to keep women buzzing with worry and doubt. Quickly, Beth morphed back into her accepted form as she heard the garage door open. The hubs was home. Tonight was going to be a blast. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.